0: I want to make one thing perfectly clear. This show is not about lumberjacks. My name is Christopher Grunland, and every month I share a story. Sometimes the stories contain truths, but most of the time they're made up. Sometimes the stories are funny, other times they're serious. But you have my word about one thing. I will never, ever share a story about lumberjacks. This time, Michael Howey of the Defender Radio Podcast narrates a story I swear is not about lumberjacks. All right, let's get to work. The Hide Behind.
1: Prologue. Big Mike Howe was kneeling in his dirt patch, digging up potatoes when he heard a rush of movement behind him in the dark forest. At first, he thought it was the wind, but breezes don't creep along the forest floor on soft feet in an effort to remain unheard. When Big Mike turned his head, he saw it standing between two yellow birch trees. It looked like a famished bear on its hind legs but bears don't suddenly step to the left when noticed, disappearing behind tree trunks too thin to conceal them. Big Mike rubbed his eyes, but whatever had been there was gone. Again. From the Journal of Michael Howe, May 6, 1908 Times have been hard, and it's good to be working again. I have my own bunk room in the cook shack, and time to myself when the bark eaters are away cutting timber. The kitchen is finely appointed compared to other lumber camps I've cooked for, but the company could be better. Frogs. I've got nothing against the French, but they often seem to have something against the rest of us. As long as I keep them in flapjacks and hen fruit at rollout, drag them a decent lunch, and serve meat when I sound the gut hammer in the evening, maybe we can get along. Big Mike Howe's liquor still was a cobbled mess of a thing behind the cook shack. A copper pot emptying into a thump cake made from a discarded supply crate sealed with pine tar to stop the bigger leaks. An old grain barrel acted as a worm box where, if everything worked out just right, the final distillate cooled into something that took the edge off cold Quebec nights. But Big Mike's potato liquor was about much more than simply getting drunk. Simple jug-hooches worked well enough for the camp. Apple cider and pear brandy took the edge off the day's aches and ensured the camp sawed logs in their bunks all night. But Big Mike needed something more. Higher proof. August 8th, 1908. My job shark told me that I had nothing to worry about when I raised concerns of being the only Ontarian in a French camp. If I saw him right now, I'd feed him knuckles. I try being the better man, but I don't need to know French to know when they look my way and say tête carie, they aren't praising my cooking. They sure don't make it easy to like them. To keep my mind busy, I've made a liquor still. It's behind the cook shack, covered by canvas. I run it while the camp is away, cutting timber. I figured out how to make a decent enough whiskey. All for me. I discovered a cleaner water source than our well, and I'm keeping that to myself too. I also planted a potato patch to get me through the winter. With these bastards on my back day and night, I'll need it. In his fourth month in camp, Big Mike finally had enough. He'd been working through a cold and not feeling well. Even before the cold settled in, he'd been dragged down sick. When things got hard for Big Mike, he did the opposite of what most people do. Instead of doing minimal work to keep the camp fed, he pushed himself, coming up with new recipes in the hope that the effort would take his mind off of how terrible he was feeling. He knew he'd never run a fine restaurant, but Big Mike knew good cooking when he tasted it, and what he was making while sick could have left any other camp in the deep woods wondering what they did to deserve such fine meals. Big Mike walked through the chow tents, bringing more food to the hungry crew. The skinny and loud lumberjack that was the source of most ridicule said, "'Murde!' and then tossed his fork on the plate, making Big Mike's headache throb even more. Big Mike's vision blurred, and a fire ignited deep inside. He pulled the axe man off the bench and pinned him to the center post of the tent, rocking the entire structure. "'I know what that means. You think my cooking is shit?' He reached back with one hand and grabbed the knife from the table. Before anyone could react, he stabbed it through the collar of the lumberjack's shirt, leaving him on the tips of his toes, struggling to get free. Before leaving the tent, Big Mike Howe said to everyone, I'm trying to be nice. Remember that. September 26, 1908 I'm not feeling so good lately. I thought maybe the beaver beaters were sneaking something in my food, but I went a couple days without eating and felt even worse. All I want to do is pace the camp and walk in the woods. When I sit still, it feels like bugs crawling on me. I look back at earlier journal entries and barely remember writing them. It feels like there's something in my head. We're not alone up here. I don't mean the trucks I sometimes see on the dirt track heading north to the new factory upriver. There's something in the woods, watching us all. Big Mike was deep in the forest when he first encountered the creature. He was searching for wild ingredients to round out the pork, beef, and hardtack he brought in from occasional supply runs. The wild asparagus, mustard, nettle, watercress, and mint growing in the woods allowed him to keep his meals from becoming boring. He quickly discovered how much the camp liked black morals, lobster mushrooms, and head of the woods to common puffballs. Berries were abundant and appreciated in the morning oatmeal when the weather turned cooler. And when berry season was over, he was still able to dry cranberries and currants. Sometimes he even shared the small potatoes from his personal patch near the river, instead of the soft and green potatoes trucked in with dry goods. It was that time in the morning when the camp was fed and off to work and the dishes were all cleaned. Light was seeping in through the canopy, not yet burning off the haze of a humid sunrise. Big Mike was digging up cattails near a marsh when he heard movement in the trees behind him. He made his way along the tree line, moved into the timber, and doubled back. Along the path to the marsh, Big Mike saw it, a thin and twisted thing in the haze standing upright, stretching and sniffing at foliage. He moved in for a closer look. As he approached, the creature looked his way and disappeared behind a small maple tree. Big Mike knew what it was. September 28, 1908 Today I saw a hide-behind. I've heard it in the woods, but today I saw it. I learned about them during an early job in a camp in Minnesota. It seemed just a legend meant to scare newcomers to camp than something that actually existed. I was told that it was large and silent and hunted men. If you heard it and turned to look, it could hide behind something as thin as a sapling. I was told not to go into the woods alone, but, if I did, to make sure to drink. The only thing that repelled the creature, I was told, was the smell of alcohol. I thought it a trick to get new people in camp drunk and lost in the trees, or a way to explain men getting lost and never coming back. Maybe even a good story to cover one's tracks if a fight turned deadly and a body needed to be hidden. After what I saw today, I know what I was told in Minnesota was no story. It was getting harder for Big Mike to make forays into the woods to gather ingredients. Colder weather never deterred him. But the hide behind seemed closer each time he left camp, blurring his vision and causing a tremor even after his return. The abundance of ingredients in the forest was still a remedy for boredom, though, and Big Mike knew enough about wild plants to begin making tonics in the hope of curing all that ailed him. So several mornings each week after the camp left to work for the day were on Sunday when the camp rested and Big Mike wanted to get away from everyone. He drank a couple cups of his potato liquor and headed into the woods. One Sunday morning, when returning from his run into the forest, he was horrified by what he found. The first body he saw was the skinny joker he'd threatened in the chow tent, face down and clearly dead. Scattered about the entrance to the chow tent were other bodies. Inside, even more. The bunkhouse revealed the rest of the camp, all dead and doubled over. Big Mike ran to the cook shack and grabbed a cleaver. If the hide behind was coming for him... He'd be ready. October 25th, 1908. Everybody is dead. The hide behind knows where we are. Big Mike spent the day dragging most of the bodies into the woods to appease the hide behind. The creature would have enough to eat for weeks, giving Big Mike time to harvest the last of the potatoes before the final freeze. He was in no condition to drive to Hull Township for supplies, and the camp was not properly stocked for winter. He would have to make do with what he had. Back at camp, Big Mike pulled back a tarp next to the one covering the still. He cut a large chunk of meat away from the thigh of the skinny joker. He brought it into the kitchen and prepared it like a pork roast. It tasted better than imagined. Big Mike Howe now hurt all the time. He woke up shaking, and when he finally fell asleep in a drunken stupor each night, his last thoughts were about how much he itched. His heartbeat never slowed, and constantly sweating as the first snows arrived meant risking hypothermia if he couldn't keep the kitchen warm. But the heat made him focus on his racing heart even more, causing a cycle of panic that turned to terror several times a day, like he was trapped inside his own ever-constricting body. If that wasn't enough... Every night, he heard the hide-behind wandering through camp. November 2nd, 1908 Last night, the hide-behind raided my food store out back. What I make in the still is no longer keeping it away. I heard it feeding and dragging away most of my meat. I fear it's coming for me next. I refuse to let it win. Big Mike doesn't remember where the water hemlock in the cook shack came from, but it's the best way out. If the hide behind returns, at least he won't know the pain the others felt when it came for them. He steeped the tea in the pitcher with a certain familiarity. The lost camp would have called it déjà vu. Big Mike had no idea how much tea it would take, or how long it needed to sit. But when the inside of the cook shack smelled like carrots, he figured it was as good a time as any. He just needed to let it cool enough to drink it all in one go. As he waited, he heard the high behind back by his still. Fueled by the last dregs from his liquor stash, he raced out back with a cleaver in hand. There, he watched the high behind race off with his last bit of meat. Big Mike watched his breath glow in the moonlight. He remembered how much he loved cold nights when the leaves are gone and the moon shined bright. The world was always so quiet and clear on nights like that. They were always his favorite nights for thinking. He stepped back into the cook shack and looked at the pitcher. The smell was too familiar, and that's when he remembered the worst thing he'd ever done. He opened up his journal and wrote, November 3rd, 1908. My mind is not my own, but I cannot be forgiven for what I've done. I just remembered I poisoned the camp. I fed them a late breakfast, telling them we'd run low on coffee and that tea would have to do that morning. I poisoned the tea and now something much worse has poisoned me. I think there's something bad in the river. I have to know for sure. Big Mike Howe stalked the edge of the forest along the dirt track leading to the new plant on the river. He looked at the massive building belching smoke and noise high above the canopy around the clock. Steam rose from the river where waste was dumped into the water he'd been using for months. The smell of a cigarette led Big Mike to someone standing alone outside, taking a break from work. The man reminded him of the skinny joker. It wasn't hard to move up, slice his throat, and drag him into the woods. Small enough to carry, he'd never be found again. Back at camp, Big Mike wrote his last entry in this journal before taking it, and himself. "'deeper into the woods. "'November 4, 1908. "'It's their fault, and I will make them pay. "'There's plenty of meat up there to make it through winter. "'I will become their hide-behind.'
0: A big thank you for listening to Not About Lumberjacks. All music by Ergo Fismiz and Kai Engel. A huge thank you to Michael Howie from the Defender Radio podcast for bringing this story to life. Visit thefurbearers.com slash podcast for more information. And visit nolumberjacks.com for information about the show, the voice talent, and music. In one month, it's something a little different. Think of it as microfiction stocking stuffers for the holidays. Until next time, be mighty and keep your axes sharp.